chess is one of those things where there's a very finite set of things. It, it literally is a probability calculation exercise. Every piece can only move in one way and your opponent's pieces can only move in one way. And so you can calculate the probability of that. And so I think that is one thing where you would expect a computer to take over all of it. Maybe I have a little bit more optimism, which is I do think that most things are not like chess. People can still do crazy things and be unpredictable. And so sometimes I do think that human judgment is still required, but you could augment it with machines to do a lot of the very more tedious, repetitive tasks. And that's what you should let machines do. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Ao, venture capitalist, Sarah founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 40,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Stay well and stay brave. Are you a business owner, CFO, or engineering lead who's tired of grappling with outdated finance processes? Are you frustrated at the high costs of card payments or find yourself bogged down by manual financial tasks? It's time for a change. Meet Acme Technology. Our software enables you to connect directly with your bank of choice to automate all of your finance and payments processes. Enjoy real-time reconciliation and direct-to-bank payments and payouts. No lengthy integration. Transform your banking experience into a Stripe-like experience, all with easy integration through streamlined APIs. Learn more at www.tryacme.com. Morning, Shein. Good morning, Jeremy. Yeah, there we go. Energy, that caffeine boost. Oh, there we go. Can't go wrong with that multiplier. Well, today's a big week. I mean, you know, obviously AI has been around, but the week has been full of open AI news about so on and so forth. It also ties in nicely with AI discussion that Harvard and Stanford hosted in Singapore and they were panelists with and I was helping organize. You tricked uh, me into doing it and then didn't show up. <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, unfortunately, the only day that worked for you and the other speakers was when I was on National Service Reservist. So I was like, okay, there we go. But show would have been nice to be there. And obviously, there's a Code 2 AI report they want to go into. So let's talk. Today's episode will be all about AI, open AI, the business of AI. But before we start, I just want to do a quick shout out to Todd Westra. So he commented on the last episode in 311, down rounds and startup failure patterns. So he said, hey, you know, I really loved the episode because the podcast covers so much ground from fundraising to strategy. And he felt that he was glad that we talked about how customer segmentation and emotional intelligence are such important and often overlooked aspects of startup success. So thanks so much, Todd, for your wonderful uh, comment and praise. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate the feedback. It always, uh, I tell people that I labor under the delusion that no one listens to us. Otherwise, we'd never do this. But then it also is gratifying when people say like, hey, I thought that was pretty useful. Um, and then you're like, okay, I guess some people listen to us and we don't sound like complete idiots. <laughs> it's like today we would deliver on something like Tati Idiots. <laughs> so let's talk about maybe about the first one is like, you know, there's the big hoo-har about, you know, open AI. The five-day coup. The five-day coup. The battle coup. of Sam Altman. It's like what it says, if you aim for the emperor, you better not miss. <laughs> you know, kind of uh, basic rules of coup planning is plan better. Oh boy. What a, I mean, it was just like literally you woke up and then my phone's like full of, did you see this? And then secondly, 30 minutes later, all these like memes start coming, dropping in, you know. The first uh, job AI replaced with Sam's. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, maybe all kinds of jokes, right? Like, oh, if you're having a bad day, think about Sam, right? So that was interesting. But I mean, like the high level effects of the thing was that chronologically it seems that the board was very much organized as a nonprofit and he had a for-profit entity underneath reporting to it. Microsoft invested in a for-profit entity and then the nonprofit board received word of an advance in artificial intelligence called QSTAR. And then that precipitated a move where they decided to oust Sam Altman and then Sam Altman after five days and with the help of Microsoft and the other shareholders in the corporate entity, they eventually came back onto the board. I, I guess also the open AI staff also signed a petition and tried to walk out as well. So yeah, and now Sam is back as the CEO of OpenAI. So that's a rough high-level point of view. Shane, any thoughts about the situation? I mean, I think there's no clearer demonstration of, hey, your talent walks out the door every day and you need to make sure they walk back in. Then I don't think the board anticipated that when they removed him, the bulk of their 700 employees would be like, we're out, right? And so that was just like the, I mean, even Ilya, who had been part of the board that voted to oust him, was like, I changed my mind and signed the petition and I'm also out. And so I thought that was particularly striking. And of course, I think we should caveat this. We have no inside information. We don't really know what was going on in the boardroom and all those sorts of things. I did chat with a number of folks that I'm close to in the Valley and I was like, what's going on? And even folks at like, you know, competitive companies and things like that, they're like, we have no idea. We're just as surprised as everybody else. And so I think it was one of those things that was so out of the blue. And so I think the board overplayed their hand both on anticipating Microsoft's reaction, who's like a major investor and partner, and their own workforce's reaction to not think through how that's going to work. But I guess now we can say the accelerationists have won the day, the battle. And I think the drive towards commercialization just continues apace, right? So we're in for interesting times. Yeah. And I think that's the key takeaway here is that two parts, right? One is it, it, it was out of the blue because it very much was out of the blue. It was a very unique set of circumstances, which is uncommon because in the business world, there are very few things that were out of the blue as this, right? If the company's underperforming for you know five years, then you're kind of know like someone's gonna step off etc but this was a very interesting dynamic where i was very much i remember reading the news and i was just said this has been driven by a philosophical difference that's very there because if you look at the composition of the board a lot of them are effective altruists a lot of them are very focused on you said the opposite of which is i think economists so, will call them doomerism which is i think very uh but they're not right bit. yeah this is saying they're more safety first you might even say it from a policy perspective they are the regulatory friendly folks who are looking to slow things down and so i think the jury's still out whether they come across as naive to idealist, to uh, principled, to stubborn, to zealot, right? I think that's going to be a very, I think the history will, will write that story maybe in 10 or 20 years or 30 years. I don't know. I think it's sort of like last year when they first released ChatGPT and there were a bunch of people saying like, we should pause. Yeah. And I was like, how are you going to make everyone pause? You just like, regardless of what you believe, just as a practical matter, how would you actually stop people? Yeah, but they did pause it, right? The reason when it was publicly released is effectively ChatGPT 3.5, right? That was really had a public release. And if we think about it, ChatGPT 1, 2, 3, that was a long time that they spent effectively, we wouldn't call it stealth, but they kept it private. They did some pre-wiring warnings. You know, I remember reading the Wired article and they were like, Sam Altman's really worried about this, ChatGPT 2, because because it's going to change the world, right? And he was, they were right. I mean, he did change the world. But it was just kind of funny to read this article. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. And I scrolled to my next piece of news, right? Yeah, no, yeah. but my point is just like, the cat is out of the bag. You can't actually stop people from building. 
there's open source models that people are going to take and adapt. So even if all of the CEOs say we're going to pause, you're not going to stop the open source community from going. So I just think as a practical matter, it's like actually quite hard for people to be like, hey, we're going to just stop develop. The idea is already in the universe. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? And I think it was just such a fast uh, uptake as well. I remember I was reading, it was like for a couple of years, it was zero revenue. And then after that, it became like a couple mil in uh, next year. And then this year is effectively a billion dollars of revenue. So it's the fastest, you can say, I wouldn't say fastest unicorn. I mean, it's really a unicorn before that, but effectively. Fastest to 100 million users. Yeah. And fastest to a billion dollars of revenue as well. And for me, yeah, I think I'm actually a little bit sympathetic. I wouldn't say empathetic, but sympathetic to the doomer side. I was reading this uh, wonderful Malcolm Gladwell profile of the birth control pill, right? And this guy was walking around. He just thought, nice scientist, thought he was going to do something that was nice. He was a Catholic, and so he very much wanted to help improve reproductive health. And then he ended up reshaping society because the birth control changed society entirely. It created the 1960s, you know, it changed working people's roles, family structure globally. So from his perspective, he was just doing the research needed to help people regulate their hormonal systems for birth control. So... And I'm kind of like mildly sympathetic to the point of view, which is we just unleash something and we're pulling back, right? So that's interesting dynamic. Makes sense. Should we go into the report? Because I think there's like a lot of really good stuff here. Yeah. I mean, it also ties into what you shared with the Harvard Stanford community. So why don't we just keep it high level? So KOTU is an AI full report. Uh, it's 115 pages. So lots of slides, uh, but each slide is nicely done. It's not very dense McKinsey style. Very clear lines. I would say about one third was context setting. One third about it was like what we see today right now as a result in terms of the landscape and I want that is like how does it change the future and I think it actually tie out back to some of the societal changes that we think will happen eventually but any favorite aspects especially in that you jumped out of you there's a few favorite slides that I had one the slide 29 which is it's already delivering value because I think there's a lot of people who are like asking the questions like oh is it a fad you know hey people were interested in one hour delivery then people were interested in crypto and then now people are interested in AI and all these different things are getting funded and is it just hype and i think ai is actually fundamentally different in that it is a platform shift it's like a technological change and the way that we talked about it at the uh, stanford harvard event was to say like as technology progresses what happens is you get higher and higher levels of abstraction so if you ever go back to the really early computers remember punch cards or like those photos that you see of people when they were like at nasa trying to program the rockets to go to the moon and it was a very like low level machine line code set of instructions where you had to write out everything. And with the development of software, each level we get more abstractions. So we no longer have to write every line of code. We have libraries that abstract functions. And this instant, this chat GBT and what it's basically able to show us is that in some circumstances, we don't actually have to write the code ourselves. We can just speak in natural language and say the thing we want and it can write the code for us. And we could do this in multimodal, not just text, but image and video. And why that is exciting is because when you are able to abstract more things out of it, you actually make this power accessible to more people. So more people can go build things and put things together. And you can make existing workflows cheaper, faster, better, all that sort of stuff. And so I think that was like, hey, this isn't like pie in the sky. It's already happening. So that's what I like about that slide, which is Google, Microsoft integrated into their co-pilot. So with GitHub, so people are using it for programming, already becoming much more efficient. I think they're integrating it into their Word suite. So whether it's like writing tools, Excel, Office, all that sort of stuff. So you're already like seeing the benefits of it. And they've seen, they've like rewritten physician communication and people actually prefer the rewritten 
GPT communication. It actually makes your doctor sound warmer, more understanding. You're getting benefits from it already. And so that was like one slide that I really liked, which is I do think it's going to have a major impact on productivity and transforming types of work. And the really extreme version of this is there's a slide where they talk about, well, could you build like a three-person unicorn company? Which sounds a little bit extreme, right? But the idea that like, hey, there's many functions that you still have to hire huge teams to do. But if you can actually build agents autonomously, instruct them, and they're learning, you can build really lean businesses, which I think is a super interesting idea. But there's like 120 slides, so I could do this forever. So Jeremy, what were some of your favorite nuggets out of the deck? Yeah, I think one favorite nugget in my head was I've always laughed at this framing of calling AI a co-pilot. And I always thought it's hilarious because my big rule about marketing is that either they describe exactly what's happening or they entirely articulate what's entirely not going to happen. And co-pilot always felt like one of those very nice words that felt very reassuring psychologically to humans. Be like, oh, AI is a co-pilot to you. And then there's all these crazy quotes out there. It's like, oh, it's not going to be an AI that replaces your job. It's going to be an AI and human that's replacing your job. And I'm like, what? That's not how productivity technologies work, right? I think the big story that I always remember is it goes back to the mechanical loom. It's like the weaving industry, right? Everybody used to make their own clothes in every village, etc. At some point, the mechanical loom arrived and basically people were able to weave with much more productivity. And then everyone's like, oh, okay, great. All we have to do is defend ourselves by having our own looms. But the truth of the matter was that some cities just became loom centers where they had not just thousands, but hundreds of thousands of looms. The infrastructure, the mechanics, the repair folks, the weavers, etc. And then you end up in a situation where the British colonial empire is super scaled and then they basically made everybody else in the world make cotton ship it was more economical for people to make cotton across the world and then ship that to Britain for it to be weaved and then for the clothes to be pushed out back into the world right and so basically if you were like a normal seamstress or a tailor you just got swamped by these manufactured goods and so I, I think to some extent it's not really a co-pilot it's not like a one-to-one dynamic and I think this deck kind of put it nicely right it's, there was a co-pilot phase for chess where human and AI was better together for about less than effectively 10 years and then afterwards the just machine just crushed all humans in chess right so I, I think you can say oh it's a co-pilot in the sense that maybe it's like one human percentage of human effort and 99% computer side but it kind of goes back to what you talked about is like the, the new organizational structure which is that historically a company needs to scale if you want to increase marketing as an example you would have to hire 10 more people if you want to grow 10x but now you're saying that you can scale the marketing division using more compute power and I think there's a great Twitter thread that happens just now and this guy basically was like here's how I created a blog with like 1.4 million articles and crushed the SEO game by cloning all competitors and generating AI and I was like yeah that's exactly what I expect right it's not going to be a million SEO people each using the AI it's going to be like five corporations that figure out how to build a million pages of SEO friendly pages and of course they're going to kill Google eventually with this kind of approach but in the meantime it's like an LGA bloom is still beneficial to grow as fast as you can because compute can scale so much faster than humans and so I think it goes back to the previous conversation we had about job replacement and job displacement is being very thoughtful about where jobs are going to be I think that if you're something that's going to be attacked by AI you can grow very fast and I think marketing is one of those non-protected professions I think being a doctor is a protected profession but I think there's going to be an interesting dynamic and I can't imagine
imagine a lot of uh, human labor friendly. I think unions are going to come back in the context of this legislation because you've got to have a point of view. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting though. Chess is one of those things where there's a very finite set of things. It, it literally is a probability calculation exercise. Every piece can only move in one way and your opponent's pieces can only move in one way. And so you can calculate the probability of that. And so I think that is one thing where you would expect a computer to take over all of it. Maybe I have a little bit more optimism than you, Jeremy, which is I do think that most things are not like chess. People can still do crazy things and be unpredictable. And so sometimes I do think that human judgment is still required, but you could augment it with machines to do a lot of the very more tedious, repetitive tasks. And that's what you should let machines do, right? There's no reason why mm. humans should I'm actually a bullish overall. I think it's a productivity gain for human society. I think it's a net benefit, assuming there isn't a singularity event, but maybe that's beneficial. But I would say, but I would say, but I think we just had acknowledged that I think there are going to be some job professions that is going to see huge amount of displacement. I just don't think the job SEO or marketing, a lot of those jobs are going to be. Yeah. Travel you know, agents. They've travel been agents. Yeah. So, you know, customer service, call centers, to some extent, BPO as well. So there's a lot of displacement in those jobs. And the good news is that most of them, they don't have a union, right? So, so it's going to be an issue. I think laws, I always think to myself, one of those interesting ones where a lot of the job is got, is replaceable, but it's a very strong union dynamic and is locked into every country. So it's a very interesting. I think that's where you're going to see a lot of action in terms of the pro versus, I was going to say pro versus anti-human labor activists, but you call it pro-human, pro-AI productivity dynamics. I think that's going to shape up quite a bit. It was interesting at the Harvard Stanford talk, there were a number of lawyers in the audience and they cited the case where some lawyer in the US had used chat GPT for his arguments and ChatGPT had hallucinated cases that didn't exist but that supported his and the question was like how do you stop that? And my response was, that isn't a chat GPT problem. That's a human laziness problem. The lawyer shouldn't do that. The lawyer should check his work, right? The lawyer shouldn't just be like blindly. And so I, I don't think every technology has people try to like skive off and do things. And no, I don't think it's the technology's fault kind of the people who are using it have to decide how they're going to use it. Well, the awkward reality is that human laziness is the driver of productivity across the world. I mean, you can make the argument is like, oh, I can just, you know, I mean, come on, right? Is this, would you rather maintain a horse or you drive a car, right? Would you rather have a self-driving car where you can watch TikTok versus drive a car, right? You know, it's just a huge amount of difference there. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. But it is funny, right? Because I feel like the lawyers were feeling that their, their jobs were a little bit threatened. And so I think that's like a push to say you should actually learn how to use this for your benefit, not just be like, how do we regulate it? Yeah, It's not allowed. You're like, well, you know, people can use the tools. So just have to figure out how to deal with that. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because I also teach, right? This is for fun as a junk lecturer. And it's interesting because I has still have, in response to ChatGPT, I had to change a lot of the assignments towards group work or video format. But I still had some level of written dynamic that was there. And it was interesting because I realized that I just can't have it next year, like a written assignment format, because all these had to create a lot of, what's the word, higher level, I don't know, what's the word, reasoning dynamic, because the sub aspect of it, I could feel... And I'm going to say this, I'm not saying that, but I felt that some of it was what I call coin AI fishy, which is it reads like AI wrote this and I can't say it was written by AI. I'm just saying. You didn't you run know? it through the tool? The checker doesn't work. I mean, it's, just, it's like the problem is that it, it can give you an indicative thing, but it's, it doesn't have his false positives. So you can't go back to the student and say, hey, this is, you know, not kosher in that sense, right? So anyway, the long story short is now there's a lot of stuff I'm getting that's just AI fishy. I'm pretty sure it's written by AI. Not what I got was I got an apology letter 
letter, and I'm pretty sure it was written by AI. So I don't know how I feel about apology letter that was written by AI. Can you just make them write by hand in your class, timed in front of you? That feels a bit of a ludite response, no? I don't know. I feel you just got to change it to like group work that you allow chat GPT and I don't know, you allow peer evaluations. I think that's how I'm thinking towards more towards. Otherwise, you know, it's just impossible. Really, really impossible. Huh. The good news is that everybody's becoming smart as a result, right? Because instead of writing a shitty apology letter, you write a pretty decent one that looks kind of like AI. My friend showed me something really funny, which was that his father was starting to use ChatGPT to formulate his responses yeah. in the family group chat. <laughs> That's so funny. So he was like, this isn't how an old Chinese man talks. Like, where does all this come from? But then he like couldn't get him to admit it. But he was like, clearly, he's like, my dad doesn't talk like this. Yeah, it's a bot has taken over. I mean, it's like the pod people. They did take it over. No, I mean, I, I shared before last time, it's like, there's a guy I know who who didn't know how to break up with somebody. So you asked ChatGPT to create like, a script on what to cover, right? On his call, which oh is kind God. of bonkers. I mean, imagine breaking up somebody, but of course, you know, it's, but if you think about it, it's understandable. I mean, if you're young and you don't know how to break up with somebody and then you ask ChatGPT, ChatGPT will give you 10 bullet points. And you know, But then very, how does it feel if you're being broken up with and ChatGPT? You don't GPT. know. That's why it's a phone call. The guy's being off like, you know, the no, high no, level. No, 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 no. But it's a phone call, but you've been in a relationship with someone and they suddenly start talking about this stuff. And you're like, where did this all come from? We haven't talked about any of this before doesn't it feel fishy you're like you've been emotionally unavailable for the past three years and suddenly you have an emotionally available breakup sorry that's so funny yeah that's kind of screwed up but it's hilarious i mean yeah it reminds me of the time when i was in a train recently and i was just you know i was just like in a train and it's a bit crowded and so i look over around and there was this guy clearly a white collar young guy I say a fresh graduate and he was like no honestly he was just busy flirting with a bot called cheating crush so cheating you know, was, crush yeah i know i mean i could just call it elizabeth or something and put it in a whatsapp it works but Tabby was called cheating crush he was throwing a water bottle at her she was kind of giggling and saying why are you so mean to me and he, he was like oh i like being doing this to you and teasing you and then she i use the word she in a sense that she's a bot the, chat the bot, bot yeah it. and then i was like well that's how <laughs> humanity ends i guess is but, it framed as a game or is it no this guy was serious yeah you know, it was a 15 minute MRT ride where I was just like you know and, 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 and it was interesting actually because if you think about it it's actually socially acceptable I'm using an example to, to WhatsApp your wife or your girlfriend I mean say somebody right I mean if you had WhatsApp somebody yeah I mean and you said all that stuff and the person was a human it'd be totally socially acceptable right but I was just like my eyes popped out because again it's crowded I mean and this guy is, so to him maybe it was like socially acceptable to do this I don't know but for me I was like whoa this is like in the wow man <laughs> this is you know driving your billion dollar revenues you know for character.ai and all these other folks right which is this person's knocking off work and he's feeling lonely and you know he's busy uh, flirting with ai avatar right that's so interesting i guess so what do you i mean normally i mean i, mean, I would say i'm not a very good flirter good news for you there's somebody who's going to be 100 receptive uh, but but the goal of flirting generally is to advance your relationship with someone right yeah so what in this case what's the objective is it to get better at flirting so that you can then apply these skills to a human? I don't, I think there's a great reflection that I had recently. And it is, I was just going through some of the science here, but I think relationships are dropping, romantic relationships are dropping over time. There's more loneliness growing over time as well. There's a loneliness epidemic, as they call it. But I think my perspective is that as a human, people say they want relationships, but they, more importantly, they want things that come out of a great relationship. So they want companionship, affirmation, you know, a buddy, right? And so you're saying is, you can get all of this from an AI bot. If, I mean, the games and entertainment industry is giving a lot of that. I mean, we used to make fun of Japan, right? Otaku 
Shikaku and waifus and all these shut-ins. And then they're all lonely and they're all at home and they're stuck at home. And I was like, you know, Japan's just an early adopter, right? It was just like, at the end of the day, the truth is real estate prices are still the same, but the cost of compute has dropped by an order of magnitude, right? And so I was reading this fun YouTube comment, but it was like, don't be tricked. This is the cyberpunk dystopia that we had, which is, you know, and I was like, you know, this is true, actually. It's, it just takes time to get there. But in a hundred years, I think real estate will still be about the same price, but the cost of compute, whatever you call it, AI VR will drop by several orders of magnitude again. And so as a result, I think by nature, people are going to move more of their life into social, parasocial relationships, AI, so, so forth. So anyway, I actually am a big believer that I saw this guy and I was like, you know what? I totally get it, man. I'm married and I totally see the value of, I'm just saying, right? It's like, does this know, help you, the incels? Does that make people less frustrated and violent? I mean, I don't know. It's what do you feel about pornography, right? You know, we went from zero to widespread on-demand availability. So, but you know, pornography was the sex. So I think chat GPT relationships would be to relationships. You know, is this, you have on-demand affirmation and acceptance. I don't know. I just think it's going to change society the same way birth control did. It will be interesting. Topic for a different podcast, maybe. I mean, well, keeping this to the AI side, I mean, no, okay. There are so many business models. Okay, there is a literal model company startup that's pitching itself as OnlyFans with AI. It's basically, yeah. yeah. yeah you don't even need to pay the, the people, right? It's exactly, like a right? business. And, you know, they've already grown to $10 million of revenue within three months. I mean, it just turns out there's a lot of lonely people out there, you know? So, I mean, you know, so I think that's a, is a real business opportunity, but it's also a real change of society, right? It's interesting. Yeah. And I think that this great slide in the KOTU uh, AI report, right? It was like looking at character.ai, right? It was just saying, yeah. like, hey, this thing has grown like crazy, but it's like nobody wants to talk to Martin Luther King, right? It's kind of a great speaker, but so they're saying within effectively one year from zero, they've now effectively got to about 35 minutes per visit, about what, 12 million monthly active users. So there's all kinds of crazy stories that's happening. And this company never raised much venture capital either for character. Yeah, something really interesting. The world is crazy. Yeah, I guess from your perspective would be, what's the one takeaway you think that's really important to walk away with? It's happening and you can't stop it. And so you should play with it. Ah, I've seen this cyberpunk quote line. There we go. Anyway. I mean, I think you should use, I think everyone should use it. I think that it will actually really change how they think about their work and what can be, what is possible. I think it actually changes your mind about what is possible. And that I think is a very exciting and liberating thing. Yeah. I think for me, the key takeaway is similar to yours is like the S curve for this would be much faster because building out the internet took a ton of work because you got to lay cable and build Wi-Fi networks. Smartphones took a lot of time because you just got to get phones into people's hands and make the price lower. But AI is just like a digital online only function and it's creeping to every app. So I think the adoption curve is going to be much faster. So it would be interesting to see where the value capture goes as well in a chain jury result. And it's going to be freaking amazing. Unless you're an SEO marketer. Uh, I guess. X or Z. Yeah. Anyway, isn't that the thing? Is this basically everything we see in technology about in steroids, honestly? Yeah. So I, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, but I, I would just encourage everyone to try it and use it. Yeah. And new stuff is coming online all the time. So I think there's just like remixing it. Um, And there is an aspect of teaching yourself stuff too. Like you can upload PDFs and start interrogating the PDF. Right. Which I think cool. is also an interesting thing. Sometimes I read scientific papers and I don't necessarily understand all of it. And it's like a way to help me get deeper into it as well. And so 
I don't know. It's like very exciting, right? We grew up, well, I'm older than you, but I grew up before the internet. I still remember the day of encyclopedias, whereas my <laughs> kids don't think about that at all, right? My kids think Google knows everything, that they can Google anything and they can find it. And that's like pretty much almost entirely true. And then I think I just makes that orders of magnitude better. Yeah, I agree. On that note, I'd love to summarize the three big takeaways. First of all, I thought it was fun just to talk a little bit about OpenAI and the board shuffle and the eventual return of Sam as CEO. But I think it was interesting just to hear the dynamic about what we think will happen as a result. And I agree with you. We believe that there'll be increased acceleration and commercialization as a result now that Sam has full control about it. The second part that we talked about was, I think we talked about the Code2 AI report and we talked about what we liked. I think we liked the part about scaling organizations in terms of their functions. We talked about some of the facts that we had around the growth and productivity of various jobs that's going to happen. So that was an interesting discussion about also where value is going to accrue and how fast you need part of that journey. And lastly, I think we talk a little bit about society, about how there's going to be some winners and losers. I think winners is if you're able to be part of the corporations that turbocharge and use AI a lot. If you're a profession that's easily displaced by generative AI, I think we're really starting to see the changes in that happening, right? And we can also talk about how as a result, society is starting to change all the way from how courses are going to be graded in future away from papers, all the way to how people are going to have relationships as well. On that note, thank you so much, Ian. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.